The Watership Down podcast is intended for listeners who are familiar with the plot. There may be spoilers. This episode is scripted by Newell Fisher, John Ruths, Peter Strudwick, Peter White and Leah Michaela. It is narrated, recorded and edited by Newell Fisher. Hello and welcome to the Watership Down podcast episode 84 in which we will be looking at the fantasy role-playing game Bunnies and Burrows, having reached a natural break in going through the 1978 film. This episode is aimed at those who are unfamiliar with Bunnies and Burrows, so don't worry if you are, because you're in good company. First, though, a quick correction from last week. I've had it pointed out to me more than once that I fell into a classic trap when I speculated whether part of the music from the film, more specifically from track 13, The Escape from Ephrafa, could have been inspired by the Imperial March from Star Wars, A New Hope, that came out a year before Warship Down in 1977. Of course, as we all know, the Imperial March did not appear until The Empire Strikes Back came out, came out in 1980, two years after Warship Down. So I suppose technically John Williams, the composer, could have been inspired by Watership Down. Anyway, returning to the matter in hand, I went through a brief phase of being interested in fantasy role-playing games in 1989 when I was a 22-year-old student, but it didn't last. I suspect I could have got a lot more into them. Indeed, that might have improved my social life at the time, but life just didn't turn out that way. However, the subject does interest me. During that brief period of interest, one day I was shown a copy of what I now know to have been the first edition of Bunnies and Burrows. I remember finding the idea of it hilarious, and as a result I never played it. I regret that now, but such was student life. So, as I am assuming no knowledge of the subject matter, let's start from the beginning. What are fantasy role-playing games? This episode should be subtitled Down the Rabbit Hole, because that is what researching it has felt like. This is a huge subject, so I'm having to limit my coverage, and I apologise in advance for any glaring glaring omissions or errors. I'm sure they will be corrected by those listening who are better informed than I am. A fantasy role-playing game, or more specifically a tabletop fantasy role-playing game, is a game in which what could be called an umpire guides a group of players through various scenarios, allowing them to make decisions about how they will react to events and deciding on outcomes using probability. Each character will have a detailed character sheet that will specify their basic levels of ability in various attributes such as strength, intelligence, stamina, cunning and so on. Rolls of dice can be added to these basic levels to decide on outcomes, the intention being to reflect how events unfold in reality, or whatever version of reality the game is set in. Such scenarios can unfold just by being described, or use can be made of maps and plans of smaller areas in order to detail the course of events. Also, events can be required to follow a predetermined timeline, or can follow a more sandbox approach, in which the characters are given an environment in which to operate as they see fit. Hopefully, at this point, any experienced role-playing game player listening aren't screaming too loudly. To take a simplistic scenario to illustrate the above, let's say that character A has a basic fighting ability of 10 and character B has one of 20. They decide to have a fight. Character A's player makes a dice roll with four six-sided dice, many alternative dice are available, of 24, making a total of 34. Character B's total roll is 13, making a total of 33. Therefore, character A, despite not being such a good fighter overall, just wins this fight, in the same way this can happen in real life. Perhaps he was just a bit more alert that day, or his opponent was hungover. 
Of course, actual gameplay tends to be a lot more complex than that, but hopefully this example explains the basic principle. So far, so nothing whatsoever to do with Warship Down. Trust me, we are getting there. Dungeons and Burrows The original fantasy role-playing game, or RPG, is one you will have heard of, even if you know nothing about them. Dungeons and Dragons. This was first published in 1974 and is commonly recognised as the first modern tabletop RPG. It was based on J.R.R. Tolkien's Middle-earth and characters can be such things as elves, dwarves and even humans with such professions as fighter, cleric and wizard. Each of these having particular innate strengths and weaknesses upon which specific characters can be developed. The umpire is referred to as the dungeon master. With me so far? Anyway, and getting to the point. In 1976, an RPG appeared that was inspired by the book Watership Down. Note that the film, which you might expect to have inspired such a game, had not come out yet, being still two years in the future. It was published by Fantasy Games Unlimited, having been designed by B. Dennis Sustair and Scott Robinson, and was an RPG the like of which had not been seen before. In Dungeons & Dragons, characters could carry weapons and treasure, etc., and this was common to RPGs. And then along came this game, the first involving non-humanoid characters, which is based around animals that spend their lives trying not to be eaten and can carry basically nothing. How could this possibly work? That was my first reaction in 1989. But it did. Probably for the same kinds of reasons that the book that inspired it did. The game placed an emphasis on role-playing rather than combat, though the latter could happen, but this first edition seems to have been slow to take off due to problems of presentation. In 1982, a second edition was produced. Then in 1986, Steve Jackson Games published the Generic Universal Role-Playing System, or GURPS, that was intended to simplify and unify the various systems used in different RPGs. In 1992, the GURPS version of Bunnies and Burrows was published. Moving forward 27 years, in 2019 a third, or is that fourth, edition of the game was published by Frog God Games, funded by a Kickstarter. It is the cover of this third edition that I've decided to use as the image for this episode, as it just looks good. Finally, there are two features of Bunnies and Burrows that merit a mention. Although it was inspired by Watership Down, the world in which Bunnies and Burrows is set seems to be based upon North American wildlife such as raccoons and coyotes. As I've said before, there's nothing wrong with the game involving rabbits being set in another continent, but the book that inspired it isn't. This was probably done in order to make the world the game is set in more familiar to its initial audience, so fair enough. Also, certainly the first edition avoids using lapine, which is a bit disappointing. This may have been for copyright reasons, or maybe they just figured that North American rabbits wouldn't speak a language spoken by British rabbits. So, for example, in the first edition, the word owlsler isn't used at all. Instead, strong rabbits are referred to as belonging to a guard. So then, with the potted history out of the way, let's get down to some detail. How to be a rabbit. So, how do you play Bunnies and Burrows? Well, my good friend and captain of this podcast's Owsler, John Ruth, has played RPGs many times and has provided an example of building a character for the game, which I, t I will take you through shortly. First, though, let's go through how rabbits are categorised in the game. In the first edition, rabbits were defined as belonging to professions. These were fighter, empath, storyteller, seer, herbalist, scout, maverick, 
and runner. This is also the order in which those professions are placed in similarity to one another in a circle of professions. I'm sure you're already mentally dividing up the characters of Watership Down into these categories. For example, can we all agree that Bigwig is a fighter, Fiverr a seer, Dandelion a storyteller? So far, so easy. But what about Hazel or Blackberry? Each of these professions are defined by their basic characteristics, and a character declares a profession based upon the basic levels they roll and allocate in each characteristic. These characteristics are strength, speed, smell, intelligence, wisdom, dexterity, constitution, and charisma. Now these are easier to fit Hazel and Blackberry into. So, if we agree that Hazel scores maximum for charisma and highly for dexterity, for example his punt rope chewing skills, intelligence, such as thinking of using dogs as weapons, and constitution, such as the ability to survive getting shot, overall he, from what I can see of the first edition, should be classed as a maverick, which gives advantages in dexterity and cheating or stealing. And of course, this is the profession that Elachrarar himself would have declared. Doesn't that just sum up the contradictions of Richard Adams' rabbit society perfectly? Those likely to become the best leaders are those most likely to rebel against and deceive their leaders. Thank goodness we humans aren't like that. John Ruth has put together Bunnies and Burrows character sheets for all the main characters in Watership Down, which I will be putting up on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. I'm sure everyone who sees them will completely agree on every detail he has decided upon. That was a joke. He's very brave to stick his colours to the mast in this way, and I'm very grateful that he has done so. So, now let's take a look at a new character in the game as an example of starting from scratch rather than reverse engineering established characters. Briar the fighter maverick of Riverdun Cops Warren. John Ruth has sent me a complete illustration of how to generate a character in Bunnies and Burrows, which I will now take you through. First of all, there will be a lot of numbers, which cannot be avoided. I will try to make this audio friendly and will be putting up the full document on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram with John's permission. So, using his method, the first thing to do is to throw a four six-sided dice ten times. You then reject the two lowest totals. Then from the remaining eight, you exclude the, you exclude the lowest dice roll. In this example, this results in a ranked set of scores of 18, 17, 14, 14, 13, 11, 11 and 9. Now John has to decide how to distribute these basic ability levels among the characteristics. Shockingly, this member of the US military has decided to make this character a fighter with maverick tendencies. So the basic levels of ability are Strength 18, Speed 17, Smell 14, Dexterity 14, Intelligence 13, Wisdom 11, Constitution 11 and Charisma 9. So, now we get on to the imaginative bit. Given this balance of characteristics, John has decided that his character is a buck by the name of Briar. His background is as follows, quote, Briar is a two-year-old and recently left the River Dunn Cops Warren. His father was an Owsler member, but was lost soon after Briar was born. He was considered a hero of the Warren because he blocked a run from a ravenous Homba. While Briar is proud of his father, he also feels like he has lived under his shadow, helping prompt him to depart. He has about one year in the Owsler, and has a good deal of training, scouting and farm raiding experiences. The Chief Rabbit and the Owsler Captain grudgingly but willingly let him go due to the general overcrowdedness of the Warren. End quote. 
John adds two statements that amount to Briar's mission statement. They are, quote, I'm going to see how I do on my own, end quote, and, quote, I hope I find some like-minded rabbits, end quote. Briar is a good example of how the fixed nature of the ability scores allow for creating the kind of character you want to play, combined with the necessity to compromise around your weaknesses. So, while our Briar has the kind of combat abilities that were preferred for him, with strength at the top, followed by speed and smell, he is of average intelligence and has little ability to reflect. Also, his ability to survive injury is not the best, and he was never going to, Hazel-like, take others with him. Briar, to me, is looking like an effective Flessy, but probably one that could do with befriending a herbalist. If you can, do take a, look at, take a look at Briar's character sheet, as well as those for the characters of Watership Down, which, once again, I will be publishing on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Details, details. The point at which most ordinary mortals start to zone out when it comes to RPGs is when you look at the complex rules around how the characteristics are used in practical situations. To illustrate this, I will give you examples of the way in which two of the various characteristics are used in the first edition, these being combat rules involving strength and herb recognition involving, oddly enough, being a herbalist. These kinds of rules do seem to have been simplified in later editions. In combat, there are eight basic tactics that can be used. These do seem broadly to reflect the accounts of rabbit-on-rabbit -rabbit violence we read about in the book. They are bite and hold, a favourite Ephraim tactic, bite and release, pin, butt, claw, kick, rip and cuff. In a fight, it seems that both participants have to declare in turn which they will use. The outcome, moderated by basic fighting ability and dice rolls for attacker and defender, determines the damage caused and therefore the ongoing progress of the fight. Anyone familiar with Bigwig's fight with Woundwart will probably be able to chart the progress of their final encounter from this horrendous list. Going to the opposite end of the scale, the ability to use herbs in the game is an element that doesn't really feature in the book. Herbs are categorised in four ways. These are location, smell type, clarity and preparations. Of these, I will only detail preparations. These are remove dirt, lick surface, pick off bugs, squeeze or soften, dry or harden, wet or moisten, chew or break fibres, crumble and treat with another herb. And that's before we even get on to what each herb actually does. A problem with RPGs is that they can get bogged down in pedantic detail. But then again, the act of navigating through complex rules can be a lot of the attraction for those of a certain mindset, and most of the burden doing this falls on the umpire in any case. So, what is Bunnies and Burrows like to actually play? Playing the game. When I put out a call for papers, as I like to call it, on this subject on Facebook, I received some interesting responses from those who have played the game. Jonathan Strudwick commented on the podcast group, quote, It's a brilliant game, but it suffers from over-complexity. People new to tabletop RPGs will be put off it, it as it's easily as complex as Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and it shows its age as it was originally published around 1982. I had a copy of the version above. The new version is much better, but it feels a little bloated. What it would do is give you a very authentic Watership Down game, but it will require a lot of work from the G Games Master and players. End quote. 
Peter White agreed, quote, Yeah, like AD&D or Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, I think people expect too much simplicity in RPGs to the point they will play nothing else they can't throw their weird home brews at or don't have some famous video series to gawk at, end quote. He added in his own comment, quote, Ah, Bunnies and Burrows, the RPG which in the edition I played, the second, there are four now, it's still going strong, has to me the closest style to old-style AD&D, having the same six stats as D&D, but an extra two, smell and speed. This is where the biggest similarities end, as each of those stats have levels, e.g. you escape from a fox, you get a level in speed, determined by the game master. There are classes, much like the classic D&D, and they are similar to those classes, fighter sort, cleric sort, ranger sort, etc. The main thing I would say that separates Bunnies and Burrows and D&D is the lack of treasure and combat for the most part. While a rabbit can fight, when push comes to shove, mainly with rabbits or small things, the things that can really harm them, a dog, isn't something meant to be fought. In D&D you have a party, they will have weapons and armour and you can say beat an ogre at first level with careful planning. But a rabbit doesn't get armour or magic swords or any such thing, so ought to flee. Though saying that, rabbits can make crude bags to hold herbs and berries. These do, these do all sorts of things in-game. As you get to the higher levels, it unlocks some of the stranger things, such as the Fiverr-inspired class being able to communicate via the mind, and if they learn the human language, could talk to people, which the implications to that is terrifying if, if that happened. The artwork does show rabbits riding hares and wearing little hats in the 2E book. They can't do that in-game, but it looks adorable, though the art at the time was called crude. I personally feel it had a lot of charm. I have the second and third edition in PDF sport from Drive Through RPG. End quote. He also added a picture of a character sheet. This element of rabbits being able to make crude bags to carry things is a problem for me, I must admit. Doesn't it go against the whole point of the game? They are rabbits, and no rabbit in Warship Down had a bag of any kind. Surely they should just have to forage for whatever they need. Leah Michaela commented on the latest fourth edition, quote, This new edition has several pages describing combat flea systems and separate maps to use during it, so I was surprised to hear there isn't supposed to be any combat. I'm new to RPGs in general. I was reading through rules first time, sweating that really one, one does have to really remember all these details before setting up a game and use this many maps every single time characters come across any other animals at all. I'm under the impression that this new edition was also first to have a detailed system for using herbs, when previous editions were said to have just random effects to be remembered. Can't remember though, since I haven't gotten early editions in any hands. Also, that was new to this edi edition. One can choose to play also other animals other than rabbits. Hare, squirrel, skunk, porcupine, armadillo, opossum. End quote. She also added some information pages on the professions, which are well illustrated. So, some interesting views there on the game from those with experience of RPGs. Summing up. I really regret not having ever played Bunnies and Burrows. At the age of 55, I probably lack the patience or energy to make a really good go of it, but if the opportunity ever arises, it would be good to give it a go, even if only as a taster. There is a lot more to say on this subject, and we will return to it, especially as I have a theory, or should that be a hypothesis, that the existence of the game has contributed to the expansion of the Watership Down universe in later film versions. Watch this space. And thank you so much to all the other contributors to this episode, without whom it would just have consisted of my basic knowledge of this subject, plus a dollop of Wikipedia. 
I must add that preparing for this episode has really focused my mind on the fact that soon this podcast will embark on a new phase in its existence, where we will begin to leave the world of the original story of Watership Down and begin exploring the expansions and developments of Richard Adams' rabbit universe, starting with his sequel, Tales from Watership Down, published in 1996, a quarter of a century after the original. I must confess, I am really looking forward to it. Next time, we return to the 1978 film as the Battle of Watership Down begins. Mm.